Guru Nation, thank you for checking out another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. If this is your first time here, or maybe not, I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, leave a review. I really appreciate it. I wanted to get my sponsors out of the way. The first one is my DSCS site network. We help sites get studies, help them do their budgets, help them with SOPs, a shoulder to cry on, anything you can think of. We help sites across the country do. The more sites in our network, the easier it is for us to get studies and from sponsors and CROs directly. If you're interested, check out the link in the show notes, a low monthly subscription fee. That's my company. Also, CRA Academy. If you're interested in learning how to become a CRA, check out the CRA Academy. The only program out there with a real internship opportunity through my CRO for all graduates of the Academy. Also, CRC Academy, same thing, but for coordinators with real internship opportunities. And now I wanted to get to my sponsors who help make this show consistently available to you and well-produced. First one is Viva Site Vault. Links in the show notes. Free electronic investigator site file. Free digital signatures. Free delegation of authorities log, all digital, go paperless. It's completely free. If you ever wanted to try going digital, at least for the investigator site file, check out Viva, link in the show notes. Next is Versatrial. It keeps your study portals organized. It's collaborative. So all staff at your site can get access and use it. We have 12 15 links sometimes per study to different portals. This keeps everything in one place. It keeps all your passwords. So it's just one click. And it also has an amazing feasibility tool to help you do feasibility surveys a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently for free. Next sponsor is Creo. This is the only one that's not free, but I think it's well worth it. It's eSource, it's eReg, it's CTMS, it's patient recruitment, it's patient payments. And you don't need to try all those things at once. You pay for what you need, but it is amazing. Once you start using it, most likely for the e-source, you're gonna want the CTMS. You're gonna want the automatic invoicing. So when you click on your e-source, dry ice was used for a lab, it will automatically send the invoice to the sponsor for the dry ice, saves you time. Countless things like this in Creo, amazing tool, check it out. Next sponsor is Inato for experienced sites. If you wanna get studies for free, Inato's the way to go. I just got my first study recently through Inato. It did take a few studies for me to filter through, but Inato actually does a really good job of making sure that it's a study that you actually wanna take. And they even do one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls with you and your PI or whomever from the site wants to join to see if a study is the right fit for you. And it's absolutely free. They get nothing out of it. I think the sponsors pay them on the back end. And it's amazing. So check it out. Inato, link underneath in the show notes, free. Finally, my last sponsor, 1N Health. This is a central patient recruitment vendor. They currently do not work with sites. But if you're a sponsor or a CRO, they are the best. I've used all of them. I've been doing this for 17 years plus. They are the best leads, the best interface for coordinators. You can text patients directly from the portal. 
they literally saved one of my studies recently, both at my site. We were just screen failing patients left and right until we finally used one end health and we got ourselves a respectable randomization number all through one end health. And they also did this entire study wide sponsor was able to end enrollment successfully because of them. I've never used, I've never been a fan of central patient recruitment vendors. This is the best one. Check them all out. Links in the show notes. With that being said, enjoy the show. What's up, Guru Nation? Let's demystify clinical research. Guru Nation, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. Look, I dressed for the occasion, all right, U of A. Um, Brian Ellerman, all right? He's executive director at Forge. You see the logo right here. Can you tell us, like, let's start with that real quick. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that. And we want to see you at SOS, maybe, because it's going to be there. Yeah. If you're there, just stop by. All right. It would be amazing. But he's been, he's had a long career. He's entrepreneur. He's making academia fun again and practical again. Open to. I think you are from what I've heard already. And I'm joining the incubator <laughs> if I can. So he sold me in five minutes on it. So is our videographer too. Um, Sanofi, global tech. Well, I had a whole bunch of roles. All right, I'll, I'll start with what Forge is. So Forge yeah. is finding opportunities and resources to grow entrepreneurs. Um, it is the entrepreneurial mindset unit of the University of Arizona. And I often get asked, oh, so you mean like it's the business school? Well, no, because entrepreneurship is an academic discipline. You, you could take classes in it, you can get a major in it. But those of you who are out there and doing life and working, you're living in the school of the world, right? You're, you're living real life. And so our goal is to try to develop entrepreneurial mindset. How do I think about solving problems in a business setting? regardless of what my major is, regardless of what my background is, regardless of your education. So we work with students to try to cultivate entrepreneurial mindset. We work in communities to try to support them because what we realize is that if we don't do the same thing for our communities that we're doing for our students, we're guaranteeing our students are gonna move away and go somewhere else. So we want them to stay. We want them to know that they come from communities. And then we run acceleration. So. But what we were talking about is uh, we, Forge has two accelerators. We've got the residency and we've got the Crucible, which is announcing today who it's accepting into its very first cohort. Um, we also do a thing called Angel Forge, where we teach students about the whole process of investing in startups. How do I value them? How do I diligence them? And so all of this is, I think, a really unique program that we run at the university. Yeah. Are there any like other universities doing something similar? Or is this pretty like cutting edge for universities? So I'm aware of other institutions that have pieces of what we do. Like, for example, we've been working a lot with the executive director at Virginia Tech, the Apex mm. Center for Entrepreneurs. But they've only focused on the student side of it. So right. how do students run startups? They don't have the same kind of component. Like they don't run an accelerator and all of that piece. And just to like make everybody excited by the way brian's linkedin's underneath this, this video and if you're listening on the podcast in the show notes this is open to any business not just u of a not just arizona yeah anyone so you watching whatever stage you're in 
Ryan got them categorized one through nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we partnered with a, a com an entity called Village Capital. They're out of Washington, D.C., and, and they had actually developed this really sophisticated way of ranking companies based on their investment readiness. And so early stage, there's lots of resources out there. In, in Tucson, for example, we have Startup Tucson. Out here in Yuma, you've got the Greater Yuma Economic Development uh, Center. So all of those help to support those really early stage. I've got an idea, who do I go to? Then you have incubators, and we've got a number of incubators across the state. Uh, UACI is one that's affiliated with the University of Arizona. It's called the University of Arizona Center for Innovation. Um, UACI does incubation all over. What comes next is the key piece because I've also spent a good part of my life as an investor um, and evaluating whether something is a good investment as a, as a startup. Um, there's a good bit of subjectivity, but there's a lot of it that really has to do with uh, hearing the right things. Do I see the right team? Do I think that there's a decent sized market for it? Um, is my investment actually, does it have a fair probability of getting returned to me, hopefully mm -hmm. more than just my investment, a little multiple of it, you know, and, and a number of other things. And the issue I often encounter with early stage founders is that they're focused on how cool their technology is or how brilliant it is or, or you know, sort of the, they're coming at it from the side of the founder and rather than an understanding the investor's perspective and right. why, why they're there. Right. And so that's a big part of what we're trying to do with, with ours, our programs, is in the first one, the residency, lasts 12 months, costs nothing, open to anybody. Um, we do have a residency in Phoenix, in Tucson, and Yuma. So that's the one me and Daniel are gonna do, the and one in we, Yuma. We have mentors and residents who are based here, um, and we can offer all kinds of resources to the companies that participate in it. All right, Daniel, we're doing that one together, man. And uh, we have the Crucible, which is the one that we're just launching. Now, right now, that's specific to Tucson yeah. because that's the one that actually pays you to be in the program. That one was cool. I missed out. Man, I couldn't have done it even if I didn't miss out, and I didn't have anyone to send. You gotta I needed be the right my staff here. You got to be at the right point in time in your own company, right? You, you. I always talk about the, the distinction with, with executives and founders is that you spend so much of your time working in the business, yeah. it's really hard to find time to work on the business. I tell you guys, okay, perfect transition. We're gonna get to your career with Sanofi especially, but there's a lot of, right now, August, 2023, clinical research market is hot. Mm -hmm. Used to be DCT, bunch of venture capital flooding that market. Now they seem to be moving to sites actual sites like traditional like mine you're getting a lot of owners thinking now hey maybe i want to sell my site you got a lot of people on the sidelines thinking maybe i should start a site in order to sell it you're uniquely positioned to have this conversation with probably the most unique i can think of in this industry you understand what the investors want and you understand the site game enough our research sites a good investment for venture capital <laughs> mm. i mean it's it, 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 and i don't know that there's a single answer to the question right because i think so let, let's talk a little bit about my background because i think that'll offer some okay. context so i spent 15 years it was aventus when i joined became sanofi aventus and then sanofi by the time i left 
And the last five years I was with the company, I really had a corporate global role. Um, from 2013 to 2015, I was the global head of tech scouting. My job was to go find really innovative and interesting companies around the world, working with scouts all over the place to kind of figure out what's innovative that could change the way that Sanofi does its business. Funny enough, one of the companies we met is, is called Science 37, and they're based out of LA no and run decentralized clinical trials. So this was really the beginning of them. They were, I think, eight people when I met them. And you and, met them. Yeah. No, I mean, I became their sort of champion inside of Sanofi because wow. I saw this as a game changer for the way that we, that pharma does clinical trials. And what year approximately was this? Would have been 2014, I think. Um, and so careful what you you know wish for, because of course here I am cheerleading for them. We ended up investing in them. We Snowfi, wow. um, you know, as a strategic investor. And fast forward, now I get asked, okay, you were since you were so passionate about that decentralized clinical trial. Why don't you come and be part of this new program to try to disrupt the clinical trial operations for Sanofi, which at least at that point in time was $4 billion a year that the company spent on trial ops. And so that's a big ship to try to, to move. But one of the things we brought into it was this decentralized approach. How can we do you know, wearable devices, mobile apps, and especially thinking about the you know, a PI here and your your participants all over the place. We got two of those three things being done right now. <laughs> you know, and I think it, it, it just, it changed the game. If you've got the, the technology platform to be able to pull those pieces together, we were looking, for example, we, uh, Snowy had a big presence in diabetes, I think seven yep. billion a year in yeah. sales. Well, that's great if you were, you know, an, an adult, but if you wanted to move into the pediatric, you wanted to move into geriatric, very different. We'd never proven those out. And we thought maybe the decentralized trial was the best solution because you think about trying to recruit a child into a trial, you're not just recruiting one person, you're recruiting at least two, you've got a caregiver. Mm. The same is true at the other end. So what could we do to make technology easier so you didn't have to pull the kid out of school to go and you know have endpoints measured and whatever else you've got to do, um, which of course parent is happy about, but so is the kid because what kid wants to be known as oh that's the one that has to go to their you know doctor go do this other thing and right the kids want to just be kids. Um, the other end of the spectrum with with the the geriatric population same thing where you have decreasing staff at at a lot of these these homes for a large population of seniors, Sniff, you can't yeah. get a ride for them for one person to go and do something, you know? And, and so here again, we could bring in wearable, de wearable devices and mobile apps as a mechanism for being able to reach and re recruit and retain, which was the other problem we were running into. And I never knew like the drug companies, that's really interesting. Like myself, Brad, Dr. Fox, I know you guys are watching because I'm sending you this link. We actually talk about Life Sciences 37 as like a model for what could have been, but did not become. But I never knew, I knew drug companies like influenced a lot of these companies, like with board seats maybe, or just 
connections. Yeah. I didn't know they actually invested in. Yeah. Is that common, like amongst these DCT companies or? Um, I think it is very common now. I don't know that it was common at the time when we were looking at them. Okay. Um, and, you know, pharmas talk to each other. We all sort of, in fact, one of the reasons I got pulled into the whole thing was that some other pharma company had launched their digital health initiative and, and our board said, well, what are we doing in digital health? And so next thing you know, okay, we've got to have a digital health effort. And that um, was you. Well, I, I was part of that, that group, yes. Um, I think the early days, it was more one of let's do pilots where we can test this out. I don't think anybody was so convinced that they just immediately plunked down the money. Um, as I recall with Science 37, the investment was probably two or three years post when I had originally sort of scouted them and, and, and started okay. the, the pilot process. So it took some time to prove the concept out. Was that one of the big ones maybe that you, with Sanofi at least, that you were involved with or? Um, I mean, they were one of the most interesting ones yeah. for me because it really, it changed my perspective. I had come out of the R&D world, um, my own background of biochemistry, clinical pathology, and then information systems. And so I was always a health technologist. So I always thought about the intersection of those two, but could never really find the perfect marriage. I could always find something that was either really innovative health with a bit of tech or really innovative tech with a touch of health. And this was one of the very first things that just truly showed me where the two pieces can come together. And it wasn't just a solution in search of a problem. It was a legitimate solution to a legitimate problem. I see. The, do you know if Sanofi still owns shares of uh, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, and. To be clear, I, I left uh, at the end of 2017. Okay. Um, I uh, had been traveling so much at that point. I just, uh, and I had one kid entering uh, high school, one kid entering college. Yeah. And I was long away from home. And actually it's an important piece of the, the Forge story, which is uh, the mayor of Tucson had asked me to lead a, a health innovation initiative um, there in 2017. And so, get, well, let's hold, hold on. <laughs> no mayor asked me anything ever. Even the mayor of Yuma, I actually interviewed him, Mayor Doug, but they don't ask me. I had to find them. How do you get asked by the mayor I don't, of a big city like I don't know. I, uh, lucky, LinkedIn? I guess. LinkedIn? Yes, that wasn't through LinkedIn. <laughs> um, no, but it was just one of those things where we were able to put together uh, this really great meeting that had Southern Arizona leadership plus a number of people from the health industry all together in a room to talk about what kinds of resources do we have. And out of that, I heard a couple really clear things. One, amazing resources. Like we have a, a, an abundance, a wealth of, of things, but no clear plan of how to put all those things together. And then the third part, and that was really the forge origin, was thinking about how well are we preparing students for what comes after graduation. I talked to a number of those, those executives and they were always telling me how they'd have to spend five, six months working with the students just to kind of get that, or not students, I'm sorry, the graduates, just to get them kind of to a point where they were conversant in the business world. 
And I thought, well, that's something we should be able to overcome pretty easily. And so um, Mayor and I started out on, okay, could we launch some kind of incubator downtown? Around that same time, um, Rio Nuevo, the development district, was working with Biosphere 2 on some kind of uh, environmental uh, sustainability incubator. All ended up in President Robin's office who, who kind of said, hey, look, you guys can both solve one, you know, two problems, yeah. one solution. Yeah. Let's see what you could build in uh, downtown Tucson. And that's kind of how the forge at Roy Place um, in effort began. And so that, everything connects. Yeah. The, in your career and we're zigzagging through. I mean, we're going to have to do part two, three. Every time you come to you, I want to do a podcast. But sites right now, it's yeah. hot, hot for sites. So people are thinking like, hey, we want to sell. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of sites. A lot of people right now are thinking, I want to start a site to sell. Mm. What do you think, knowing what you know, like how does that play out, do you think? Educated guess, we're all just guessing, but yeah. your guess is more valuable than most. Well, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think I told you, 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 you know more th every day than I probably have forgotten since I left. Um, <laughs> well, combined, we, got, we could get <laughs> pretty good guess. Um, so, there's always a tendency to chase trends. And I feel like if you're going after something when it's already hot, you're already too late. Too late. Right? I mean, you think it's too late right now? I don't, I can't assess this specific market. Mm -hmm. But what I see is that when, by the time people realize that something is taking off, taken off, it's, it's probably already sailed, or at least the, to the extent that the, the whole value of getting in in those early stages is that you can invest that sweat equity and really build up something. You come in now, you're buying at a premium because everybody else is thinking the same thing. They're going six to 10 times EBITDA right now for sites, Which, for traditional. We have a client, shout out DSCSI Network, two years. She went from zero to two, she got to like 1.5 EBITDA, sold it for eight two years yeah but started when two years uh this was she sold the last year so so three years around ago. covid yeah which might also you know that's the this is the other challenge is it is really hard to decouple the pandemic effect yeah like what part of what's going on is because it's actually just a rebound back to where we were or would have been versus what is a genuine uh, right. trend and opportunity what do you think I think, I think it's what you often see is you see an overcorrection, so it'll bounce farther, but then it'll settle back to the mean, which means you could get burned if you're buying on that little lift. The investors can get burned. Yeah, but the side owners, that's what they're okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it depends if they're the ones that are thinking about buying. A, yeah, then I tell buying on that. So just maybe I shouldn't say this on the video, but who cares? I would never buy a site. I would because I know what I'm doing. I would just start one from scratch, and in two, three years, I can either keep it and it's running on its own. Because I know what you were saying. I always tell them too: work in your on your business, not in it. Find systems, build systems, train. It, that's yeah. everything. Training, biz dev, like patient recruitment, everything to where you do not need to be in the business, like day to day. 
you could be out doing a podcast while people are screening patients right now. Now, I'm at a startup. I, I can do it halfway. I'm not full. But the systems haven't been developed yet, like fully. So you can, let's say the market cools off. Well, you have a passive, basically good cash flow generating business. And you can wait for the next top market if there is one. I think, so in my experience, I, I tend to see the trends ahead of when they happen. And by the time they're a trend, I'm already moving on to You're the next gone. thing. And thinking <laughs> yeah. of something else. Um, I also am always interested in what we call the moats. So how do you separate yourself from the competition? That's what right. makes you unique? What makes you defensible from those others? That's right. and, and I think the thing I would be really careful about in any of this, whether it's sites or other things, is what are the differentiators? What's the thing that's going to make this asset more valuable than something that looks very, very similar? Like, how does it stand out? If you can answer those questions, that's you know. That's the problem with sites. Sites are ubiquitous. Right. The only differentiating factor like you can have is geography, right? There's no other site in Yuma, great. So you deserve higher multiple than someone else. And we have multiple PIs. Like you can, you can make a little bit of differentiation, but at the end of the day, a site is a site. Yeah. I, I do look at, so one of the reasons why I'm really excited about Forge at Yuma is the demographics and the just huge swing that's going on right now. You know, I, I remember, I mean, I've lived in Tucson for almost 30 years and you and I both know what Yuma's reputation has, has been for people who live in, in Tucson or Phoenix, which is a gas stop on the way to San Diego. No one ever really stopped. And I remember it was a few years ago and we had stopped and we actually came down into, not far from here actually, and I'm standing out there filling my car. And I'm like, you know, you was actually a really nice place. I, I mean, it wasn't just a gas stop. It actually felt like a real town with, with people. I saw folks waving to each other. They knew each other. And so then in coming back here uh, and, and starting up Forge at Yuma, I'm hearing about the trend toward like the 25 to 34 year old demographic is fastest growing here in the entire state. You have, you know, some of the best schools, brand new schools, like all of these things are really good indicators. Mm -hmm. So then I think about the clinical side of this and what's the unique opportunity where you might have uh, an age or income or ethnographic uh, opportunity. You don't even have in a, in a Tucson or a Phoenix, but you might have here, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that and, and that's just one example, right? That's what everybody kind of has to think about is where you are, what is the thing that makes you unique that would be really hard for someone somewhere else to replicate it? Like, you can't change the demographics of a location overnight. Yuma has been coming for some time, right? Yeah. And now what it is might represent a, a special opportunity for people who know how to tap into that demographic shift. Yeah, and I agree. And I think for us, we noticed it was a lot. So I've had sites in Orange County. I'm from Orange County. Uh, from 2005 till 2021, when we moved here, I was in Orange County, Inland Empire, doing research sites. It's never been easier for me to get a study than here. Huh. I get every study. My colleagues back home, how'd you get that study? Send it to me, send me the contact. All of them. 
it's because of what you just mentioned. Exactly. The diversity play, the untapped market. So yeah, I see what you're saying. And shout out to you, Ma. Thank you for recognizing that. Absolutely. Um, what about CRO space? So mm. see part two, we're gonna have to go more in your career because yeah. this one's more like trends. Sponsors wanna do more things themselves. Do you think that's the case? You're right, that should definitely be a part two, especially when I, I gotta I gotta take off shortly. Um Yeah, this could be three hours. Daniel, <laughs> sorry man, this might be till four. You good? <laughs> yeah, I mean sponsors have always talked about doing more and yet somehow they don't. Um I think there are it's about whether or not the, so CROs can demonstrate that they can provide a, a value add and and do something that is special and unique that would be really difficult for the sponsor to, to recreate or, or reproduce or have to bring in-house, right? I mean, we're just not at that moment in time where people are trying to internalize these kinds of things. They're still outsourcing it. So the short answer is I think CROs still have a place, but I, well, yeah, I, I think it's a more nuanced conversation. And then for maybe a teaser for the part two. How did you even get started in clinical research to begin with? Huh. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I kind of came out of the clinical pathology side. I'd worked in hospital labs uh, for several years. I worked at SunQuest, which became Mises, which became SunQuest uh, on the laboratory information system side. Um, I was accidental. Um, I actually had um, left, uh, well, the division at SunQuest got eliminated that I was a part of, so I went and worked on my golf game. And I was actually in my backswing when Aventus called, and they were looking for someone with a scientific computing background, which I was. Yeah, it was like a headhunter oh. kind of service that was looking for someone with my skill set and wanted needed a short-term like consultant. and. Um, I thought, yeah, this will be like a nice six-month gig, and then I'll go back to golf. And then 15 years went by. 15 years. And over those 15 years, I had, I don't know, five, six different roles with the company. It started in early, early research, like the absolute beginnings of it, all the way up. And then I just kind of kept progressing my way along uh, in the chain. And it was definitely when I, you know, we got to this point of the the distributed clinical trials that I just, I found like, this is really my sweet spot. I love this stuff. I see. Any similarities you've worked at two beasts of organization, U of A now, Sanofi, any similarities, differences? I mean, similarity, I suppose, in the sense that you, when you get to a certain size, you have to centralize a lot of your, your administrative and other functions. Um, those have pros and cons, you know, you can uh, run them more efficiently with people who are specifically trained on the upside, on the downside, they're not part of your organization if you're running one like I do, so you have to rely on those shared services. Um, I, I think being relatively localized, the university is quite different from Sanofi with, you know, 130,000 employees all over the world. Um, so there's some clear distinctions there. Um, and budgets are working for a state uh, entity versus, you know, working for a, a publicly traded company quite different. But yet both somehow tried to implement elements of entrepreneurship with 
Yeah, well, in, in uh, Sanofi, I ended up having this kind of um, interesting role of trying to ringlead innovation um, with all of these different you know, units uh, around the world. And now at the U of A, I'm, I'm uh, the Innovation Council Chair. And that doesn't, it's not actually as lofty as it sounds. What it really means is that you have a, a giant university doing you know, 800 plus million dollars of research a year. What does that mean to the average person? You know, when you talk to most people, you say the University of Arizona, they're like, oh, I love their basketball team, right? Like they don't really think about all of these other aspects. And so a big part of why the, the unit that, that I'm part of is called Research Innovation and Impact is because innovation and impact need to go hand in hand. We need to be able to talk about how we're innovative and then we need to show what impact it's having. And often that's on an economic uh, development level. Well, we definitely got to do part two and three. Cause yes. You got to get going. I do. Actually. But Brian, if you're a, somebody that owns a site or wants to start a company or owns a company, patient recruitment, now there's DE&I companies bringing up all over the place. This is the guy you want to connect with. So you can get hit by a good amount of people. Thank you very much, Brian. We'll do part two, part three, and so on. <laughs> Everybody go connect, like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye-bye.